Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Now, one question which I'm asked a lot is, do you invest in commercial property? And I'll be perfectly honest, I don't invest in commercial property. And to be perfectly clear, I'm not talking about commercial conversions. I'm talking about actually buying a commercial property, putting a tenant in and collecting the rent. Not something I do. And actually, when you think about it, that might be a surprise to some people, because if you know my story, you'll know that at the age of 35, I was made redundant from a big firm of London surveyors. And my speciality was valuing and negotiating and agreeing rents and leases on commercial property and doing valuations of commercial property. And I used to go all around the UK doing that. But when I started investing for myself, I stuck to residential property. And there's a reason for that, which we'll probably come to later in this podcast. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the news recently, but it's very interesting because I've been watching, seeing what's happening on the high street. And at the time of recording this podcast, Toys R Us have just gone under, New Look are in trouble, Maplin are in trouble, and various restaurant chains are in trouble. And if you're interested in commercial property, then there's obviously something that you need to be aware of. I'm going to think about the implications of this later in this podcast. It reminds me a bit of 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember... But Woolworths went bust just after the credit crunch. And a lot of people were amazed that a company the size of Woolworths could go broke. And I remember talking to a solicitor contact of mine who owned a Woolworths unit. In other words, he he was a landlord of Woolworths for this particular shop. And he was absolutely devastated because he had no idea that such a big company could actually go broke. Now, as it was, it all worked out quite well for him because that unit he let not long after, actually, to Iceland. And so he was okay. He had a continuity of income. But it's very easy to imagine, just because a property is a commercial property and because the tenant is well known, that they're going to be the tenant forever. Again, about 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I remember a lot of the banks started selling their properties on sale and leasebacks. Essentially, what they were doing was they were selling the freeholds of the properties which they owned and then grant, and at the same time granting themselves a tenancy. So whoever bought the property would have the bank as a tenant. And you think, well, that would be a rock-solid covenant, as it's called in commercial property. Rock-solid covenant, a good covenant as a tenant who's going to be there forever. But of course, that's not turned out to be the case, has it? The banks sold a lot of their units off to investors. And then what did they do? They shut the branches. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? These things come and go. And you see trends in commercial property. I don't know if you remember sort of 20 odd years ago when there was a, a big thing for Irish themed pubs. How many Irish themed pubs are there out there now? And if you thought to yourself, well, I'm just going to invest and build a portfolio of Irish themed pubs, you'd probably get yourself into a bit of trouble. And again, with pubs, what happened with pubs? Pubs were doing roaring trade until, what, 10 years ago, eight years ago? What happened? The government decided to bring in a smoking ban. That killed a lot of pubs' business. A lot of pubs gone out of business. Now, of course, enterprising, entrepreneurial property types have been turning a lot of those pubs into HMOs. But if you wanted to buy a pub as a standing investment, even if it had a big brewery in it as the tenant, 
doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn out to be a great investment. And these are some of the things that you need to think about when you're thinking about commercial property. But having said all of that, I don't want to paint a gloomy picture. It doesn't have to be a gloomy picture. Like all things in property, if you do your due diligence, if you think about the location, if you think about the tenant quality, if you do everything you can to mitigate the downside, you're probably going to be okay. And so commercial property, if you know what you're doing, can be a fantastic investment. So in this episode, we're going to think commercial property. In this episode, for our purposes, commercial property is anything which isn't residential. When we think of commercial, I'm sure that many of us will think of shops, particularly those high street shops, which I've just alluded to, but it would also include offices, factories and warehouses, but it could also include any non-residential use. So it could be pubs, which I've already mentioned. It could be other types of leisure. You name it, if it's not residential, then I'm going to group that in under the term commercial. So let's have a think about commercial property and let's think of some of the advantages of buying commercial property over and above buying a residential property. What are the advantages of buying commercial property? Because let's be honest, a lot of people have done really, really well in commercial property. And when you think about some of the big name property investors, when you think of the Alan Sugars of this world, for example, if they're going to buy a property investment, chances are it's going to be a commercial property, not necessarily a residential property. So what is it that they see in commercial property? What are the clues? Well, let's start by looking at the advantages of buying commercial property over residential property. And the very first advantage, in my opinion, is that commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property. And you might be thinking, what, Peter, did I hear that right? Yes, commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property. Now, it might sound a bit strange to call that a benefit, but in my opinion, it is. So what do I mean by more expensive? Well, look at it this way. There are exceptions to every rule, but by and large, commercial properties tend to come in what we call in the trade larger lot sizes. In other words, individual properties sell at relatively high prices. Your average commercial property is by and large going to be more expensive than your average residential property. And this means that when a commercial property investor goes shopping, in order to spend his quota or in order to spend his or her funds, he or she probably only needs to buy one property for every three or four or even six or even ten residential properties, which a residential investor would need to buy in order to have the similar sort of returns or to spend the same amount of money. So to spend a large chunk of money, you only need to do one property search and find one property you don't have to go and find several properties or start to build a small portfolio. In effect, each commercial property is the equivalent of a small portfolio. But you'll only need one survey. You'll only need one set of solicitor's fees. Now, granted, the fees are going to cost more in absolute terms than the equivalent fee for one residential property. But it would be an interesting exercise to compare the costs of buying a single commercial property with the total costs of putting together a portfolio of cheaper residential properties. It's probably going to work out cheaper. Even if it's not cheaper, there's going to be a lot less work involved. It's going to take less time to buy that one property than it is to put together a whole portfolio of smaller residential properties. So there we are. Benefit number one, commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property. So advantage number two is with commercial property, it's easier and cheaper to manage the property. So now you've spent your pool of money, 
Now that you've spent your allocation for the year and you've used it to buy one or maybe two or just three commercial properties rather than dozens of residential properties, you'll find that the management of your portfolio is going to be a lot easier. There's a lot less heartache. There's a lot less hard work. There's a lot of management benefits, which we're going to think about in the moment, which you won't get with residential property. So advantage number two, basically, is lack of management hassle. Advantage number three, which is very much related to advantage number two, is with commercial property, generally speaking, it's much, much easier to collect the rent. Commercial leases usually provide for the rent to be paid quarterly in advance. Quarterly in advance effectively means three months in advance, meaning that a landlord only has to invoice a tenant four times a year. And as the tenant's going to be a commercial business, it should be relatively easy to collect the rent by standing order if the tenant's agreeable. Now compare this with residential tenancies where the rent is technically due at the beginning of the month, known in the trade as monthly in advance. But in reality, in my experience, managing agents tend to pass the rent onto the landlord at the end of the month. So it's usually received by the owner monthly in arrears. And if your tenants are receiving the equivalent of what we would have called housing benefit, I guess universal credit with an allocation towards the rent, there can be even more delay. You've probably been seeing on the news about the delays with universal credit, but even without rolling out universal credit, there's always been a delay built into the system. Housing benefit and local housing allowance, which have been phased out now, are usually paid a month in arrears, even if the tenancy agreement requires the rent to be paid in advance. And then there's all sorts of administration delays. As I say, with universal credit, it seems that like with the rollout, there's lots of delays anyway. But even under the old system with LHA and housing benefit, there are all sorts of delays. And it's not uncommon to have to wait six, seven, even 10 or 11 weeks for rent to be paid, particularly if there's a bit of a glitch on the tenant's benefit claim. But you don't get any of that with commercial property. A well-organized landlord should find rent collection very easy with a commercial property. There's no knocking on doors. There's no collecting top-ups from irate tenants. There's no monthly collections. And you get it all well in advance. And if the tenant is late in paying the rent, standard commercial leases usually allow the landlord to charge interest at a reasonably punitive rate, typically 2 or 3% above base rate. But what if a commercial tenant doesn't pay at all? Well, Let's contrast this by thinking about what happens if a residential tenant on an assured shorthold tenancy doesn't pay. If your residential tenant on an AST doesn't pay, you're faced ultimately with a court hearing some months in the future. If you want to fast track possession, you'd have to drop your claim for rent arrears. If you do pursue your claim for rent arrears, the chances are the judge will order the tenant to pay it back at £2 a week or some other ridiculous sum. And by the way, I've actually had that happen. But compare this with the procedure for a commercial property. If your business tenant doesn't pay rent, you simply get your solicitor to serve a notice threatening forfeiture of the lease. And at that point, most tenants will pay and the tenant's finance director will get a kick up the backside from the board. But if they still don't pay, you can send a bailiff in to change the locks. If at that point the tenant can pay, but is just being bloody minded, that's when you'll get a check for the whole of your arrears, plus your costs, plus the bailiff's bill, and the tenant's finance director at that point gets the sack from the board. If the tenant genuinely can't pay, you'll get possession before arrears get out of hand, and you can distrain. 
Yeah, distrain, strange word, but it means basically you can go in and take the tenant's chattels to do with as you like, including sell them to recoup what the tenant owes you. Now, it all sounds very harsh, but it's a commercial arrangement, isn't it? And the tenant and the landlord understand that. And so the law and the tenancy agreement for commercial property is written accordingly. Advantage number four of commercial property. The tenant pays for insurance. And again, to contrast with the residential property, if you have a residential investment let on an assured shorthold tenancy, the chances are that it's you, the landlord, who insures, and it's you, the landlord, who pays the insurance premium. And for peace of mind, you should also take out limited contents insurance to cover your carpets and white goods, and you should have public liability insurance to protect yourself in case the tenant's friend takes a tumble down the stairs and sues you. This all costs you money. But you don't have to worry about any of this with commercial investment property. Most standard commercial leases either make the tenant organise insurance and pay for it, or allows the landlord to organise it, and then gets the tenant to reimburse the landlord for the whole of the insurance premium. In other words, the tenant pays for the insurance. That means more cash flow for the landlord. Advantage number five of commercial property. In a similar vein, the tenant usually pays for repairs. There's two standard formats for dealing with repairs in commercial property on standard leases. The first makes the tenant responsible for all internal repairs, and the second makes the tenant responsible for all repairs, internal and external. If you look through commercial property agents' details, or if you go through auction catalogues, and by the way, going to an auction and actually seeing this stuff being sold is a great education, so I definitely recommend it. But if you go through the auction catalogues or the property agent's details, you'll see commercial leases described as IRI, capital I, capital R, capital I, which means that the tenant is responsible for all internal repairs and the insurance, or FRI, that's Foxtrot Romeo Indigo, FRI, which means the tenant is responsible for all repairs and the insurance. FRI is also known as a full repairing lease. Now, if the lease requires the tenant to only attend to the internal repairs, you'll find that the rent paid will actually be higher pro rata to reflect that the landlord's going to do the external repairs. In a multi-let building with full repairing and insuring leases, although the landlord's responsible for maintenance and repair, you'll find that the cost is recovered from the tenants through a service charge. So either way, the tenant will pay. One of the great things about commercial property is that not only does the tenant pay for the repairs, but the tenant also has to organise the repairs. So you're not going to get any phone calls from a tenant at midnight saying the toilet's blocked. If the toilet's blocked, the tenant has to roll his sleeve up and sort it out. Hope you're not visual, by the way. If he telephones you anyway, just refer him or her back to the lease and say, it's not down to me, matey. And you can say with quiet confidence, you spend the next hour ringing through yellow pages looking for a plumber. Even better, if you think the tenant is not keeping the property in good condition... You can give notice to inspect, send in your surveyor to have a look, and get your solicitor to serve the appropriate notice telling the tenants to do the repairs. And you get your surveyors and solicitors fees reimbursed by the tenant as well. Contrast that with your assured shorthold tenancy on a residential property where it's you getting the call from the tenant. And if you don't attend to repairs, the tenant can take you to court. Advantage number six, the tenant pays for the management. This is getting so good, isn't it? Earlier I said cheap management, but what I really meant was it's free management. Now in reality, most commercial properties are easily managed by the landlord. 
Often all that's required is posting out an invoice for the rent once a quarter. However, the option of appointing a managing agent and recharging their fees to the tenant is usually provided for in the lease. If there is any management required, such as in the case of a multi-unit investment, such as an office building, letters floors or individual suites, or maybe even an industrial estate, letters individual buildings, there will probably be a service charge. And the lease will invariably allow the landlord to recharge the tenant any costs incurred by the managing agents and their fees as part of that service charge. If it's just a single let property though, then the tenant just pays. By contrast, residential managing agents will typically charge from 10% to 15% of the rent collected. I pay my managing agents 10% plus VAT. And this cannot be recharged by the landlord to the residential tenant. And all of this means that managing your commercial property investment should really be a doddle. And many investors actually do the management themselves. They don't even bother appointing a managing agent. As a commercial lease is a private contract between a landlord and tenant, you can agree whatever terms you like with your tenant. So you often find that for more complicated properties like office buildings with more than one tenant or small industrial estates with two or more units or parades of shops and shopping centres, the lease will provide that the tenant has to pay the landlord's managing agent fees as well as the rent and the other costs. So if you buy the right property with the right tenant, you should hear nothing during your tenancy, except of course for the sound of the postman delivering your bank statement, showing your rent is arriving quarterly in advance on the first of the month. Advantage number seven, you can reclaim VAT. Now a commercial landlord has the option to waive exemption from VAT. That's what it's known as technically. Putting it in plain English, a commercial landlord has the option to charge VAT on the rent. Why do they do a double negative there, by the way? Waive exemption from VAT. I don't know. Legally, has gone mad, isn't it? What they mean is you can charge VAT on the rent. And this gives you a chance to beat the VAT man. Because whatever anybody tells you, VAT and residential property investments don't mix. Providing residential rental property is not a vatable service. Technically, there's no option whatsoever to elect to waive or put in plain English to charge VAT on a residential property. And if you do VAT register in an attempt to reclaim VAT on managing agents fees and contractors bills and such like, and the VAT man catches up with you, he'll want to know why you're not charging VAT on the rent. Well, actually, it wouldn't work like that anyway, because you can't. You can't register for VAT anyway. If you could, though, of course, you'd have a big problem. Because if you did charge VAT on the rent, you'd be increasing the rent. And you'd probably be putting yourself out of business because you'd be up against landlords who aren't charging VAT on the rent. But of course, you don't have any of this with commercial property. If you want to elect one way or the other, that's entirely up to you. So if you elect not to waive the VAT, in other words, you elect to charge VAT, then generally speaking, probably your business tenant is going to be VAT registered and they'll be able to reclaim the VAT. So they don't really care one way or the other whether you're charging VAT or not. For them, it's just a sort of a bookkeeping function that they need to just send in their VAT return once a quarter. The only exception to this, probably, or the main exception, is if your tenant is engaged in financial services. If that's the case, then they can't reclaim VAT. But assuming that your tenant is undertaking a vatable activity, then it means that you can opt to charge VAT, which means that you can then reclaim VAT on things like your petrol and your telephone bill and your premises 
if you have special premises which you run your business from, and VAT on your stationery, and any other costs on which you pay VAT, you can get the VAT back, which you can't do as a residential landlord. So that's one of the overall advantages of being a commercial landlord. You get to keep more of the rent when you think about it. When it comes to rent collection, when it comes to management, when it comes to insurance, when it comes to VAT, you just get to keep more of the rent. Advantage number eight, leases are longer. When you let a residential property, the chances are you're going to let it on a six-month assured short-hold tenancy or similar, maybe a 12-month assured short-hold tenancy. Probably better off starting with a six-month assured short-hold tenancy, though, for reasons I won't go into now. Now, of course, the tenant might stay longer and you might renew the tenancy or you might just let them hold over on the old lease. But the truth is you're never quite sure how long they're going to be there. But when you let a commercial property, market practice is to let properties for a term of years certain. So standard commercial leases are probably three years, five years, ten years. Some of the older leases would have been for 15 or 20 years, probably much less likely to get those nowadays, but very possible to get a lease of three or five years, maybe even 10. And as long as the tenant is able to keep trading, you'll be guaranteed your rental income over that period. And longer leases will allow for you to regularly review the rent as well, which means, for example, if it's a 10-year lease, you may be able to review the rent, in other words, increase the rent after five years. Advantage number nine of commercial property. Generally speaking, it's easier to enhance the value. There's usually more scope to significantly enhance the value of a commercial property than with other types of investment. Now, please note I said significantly. It is true that you can add central heating or a new kitchen or a conservatory to a residential property, and that could enhance the value. But with commercial property, we're talking about changing an already big number into a much bigger number. In the trade, this is known as working an investment. So this could be by selling or developing any surplus land. It could be by refurbishing the property. It could be by operating break clauses in the lease and bringing in new tenants who pay a higher rent. Or it could be by using a breakup situation, for example, where an industrial complex, which has previously only had one occupier, is then split up and let in parts to multiple occupiers. In other words, taking a large industrial building and making it into an industrial estate. All of these things have been done by commercial landlords. A few years back, I was acting as a consultant for a small property company, and that particular property company went to auction and bought a high street property in a market town in the south of England. And to all intents and purposes, you would have looked at the picture in the auction catalogue and you said, why did you buy that property? It was a couple of empty shops. I think there was a dance studio over the shops and at the back there was a car park. But the agent who was advising the property company could see something that the rest of us couldn't. And what he did was he worked that investment. So he got the empty shop units let. I think there's actually three and one of them had a tenant and two of them didn't. So he got the vacant ones let. He managed to increase the rent on the one which was let. He managed to do a deal with the dance studio upstairs. I think he renewed their lease and in return for that they paid a higher rent. But the big money came from the car park at the back where he was able to get planning permission to build, I forget now, but it's probably half a dozen houses or something like that. And they paid peanuts for this property because looking through the auction catalogue, all anybody could see was just a vacant commercial property. They couldn't see the potential in it. When you can see the potential, you can start to work the investment. And advantage number 10, you can put commercial property into your pension. 
commercial property can be held in a SIP, in a self-invested personal pension plan, which means used properly, it can be very tax efficient. Now, if you contrast that with residential property, you can't hold residential property directly in a SIP. There are ways of using your pension to invest in residential property. It's not something I've done myself, but I've heard people at the VIP, for example, talking about it. And it really comes down to, as far as I can see, if I lend you my pension, will you lend me yours? That kind of thing. But with commercial property, you don't have to do that. You can buy commercial property and you can put it straight into your pension pot, which makes it very tax efficient, should that be something you want to do. And there's a number of reasons why this is the case. Firstly, you can claim tax relief on any money you put into your fund. And if you're at a higher paying tax at the higher rate of tax, the government will gross it up for you, which is pretty cool. Secondly, SIPs are allowed to borrow to buy properties subject to the condition that the pension fund must make up 50% of the purchase price. So in essence, you can borrow up to 50% of the property value subject to your SIP provider's approval, for example, and reap all the benefits of gearing within your pension. And any income you make from your property, in other words, the rent is also tax-free within your SIP. And if you ever sell the property, there's no capital gains tax. And when you die, there's no inheritance tax. So there are significant advantages for actually buying property into your pension fund. So if you've got a pension fund, if you've got a SIP, and you hadn't thought about commercial property, then maybe commercial property could be a good thing to look at. And by the way, if you run your own business, and if your business already has business premises, you may find that you can put your business premises into a SIP as well. There has to be a commercial transaction between your business and the SIP. So your business premises would have to pay the SIP a commercial lease, for example, and the lease would have to be on commercial terms. But that could be a very tax efficient way of holding your business premises. So those are the 10 major advantages of having commercial property. One or two little bonuses thrown in there as well. But let's keep this balanced because, you know, as Rob would say, Rob Moore would say, there's always an upside and a downside. And there are pros and cons of commercial property. There are disadvantages as well as advantages. So let's have a think about some of the disadvantages of commercial property. And disadvantage number one is that commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property. Ah, you're thinking, hang on, Peter, didn't you say a few moments back that that is actually an advantage? of commercial property. I'm sure you said that one of the advantages of commercial property is that commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property. Yes, I did. And that's the thing, isn't it? It is both an advantage and a disadvantage. Because commercial property tends to be more expensive than residential property, if you do want to get involved in commercial property investment, you're going to need to find a lot more money to get yourself started than you would than if you were starting buying just a single let residential property. A potential pitfall of this is that it could encourage private investors to put all of their eggs in one basket, so to speak, and spend all of their money on just one property. Unless you're substantially wealthy and can afford to build a portfolio and to spread your risk, you may have no alternative but to concentrate on just one or two commercial investments when you're starting out, particularly if you're trying to raise your own funds and you're finding that a problem. Disadvantage number two, Commercial properties tend to sell at prices reflecting a relatively low yield. In other words, commercial property tends to sell at higher prices. And commercial property which is worth buying tends to have a lower yield. Now it's possible to make a search in your goldmine area and to find 
may be tertiary. Well, I'll tell you what the definition of tertiary is in a moment. Tertiary commercial properties, for example, which are going to be very high yielding. But they're very high yielding for a reason. There's potential problems with them. Tertiary, by the way, is a grade of property. So it would start a prime property, number one, prime. And then the secondary, which is pretty good, but not as good as the prime. And then you go out to something like tertiary and beyond. And tertiary, usually, I mean, a, a typical stereotypical example of a tertiary commercial property could be sort of like a rundown parade of shops out in the, the suburbs where you're only going to get something like a Chinese takeaway and a hairdresser's, you know, the kind of thing. And then something like that will have a higher yield because of the increased risks that you'll have in purchasing some commercial properties, particularly commercial properties with high yields, really aren't for the faint-hearted. Disadvantage number three, commercial property isn't as easy to finance. Financing a commercial property investment isn't as straightforward as financing a residential investment. I mean, finding finance for a residential investment is relatively easy, isn't it? You just go and find yourself a buy-to-let loan. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily easy. I know there's a bit of work to do, but with a good broker on board, probably most of us can do that. But it's generally true that the terms you're going to be offered by a bank will not be as attractive for a commercial property. And the number of lenders who are going to be prepared to deal with you are going to be much more limited. Generally, the rates are going to be 1, 2, 3, even 5% higher than for a residential buy-to-let mortgage. And lenders generally offer only around about sort of 60%, 65% LTVs on commercial property. Disadvantage number four of commercial property Tenant demand can fall when the economy is weak. Now, one advantage that residential property does have over commercial property, and this is a massive advantage that residential property has, is that there's always a demand for housing. If you buy a decent property in a decent area, if you do your due diligence, if you check out with the local letting agents before you buy it that there is going to be a steady demand, you're probably never going to have many problems. But it doesn't work like that in commercial property because commercial properties aren't let to people, they're let to businesses. And when the economy turns down, businesses can evaporate, they can go to the wall. The people don't disappear, but the businesses which those people were a part of do disappear. So what happens? Well, the people stay at home and the businesses, well, they've gone. So the premises which they occupied are now empty. Well, when you think about it, in residential investing, the number of people requiring a roof over their heads always remains constant. In fact, in the UK, the population is increasing at the moment. So there's no shortage of potential tenants. Not true with commercial property. Supposing instead of deciding to buy half a dozen residential properties, you buy a small office building. And supposing that office building has got what looks like a, quite a decent tenant. Maybe it's you know, a local firm of accountants. Maybe they're quite a big firm of accountants. Maybe they look like they're doing really well. And then the next recession comes along and suddenly they're struggling. Suddenly they decide that they need to downsize or worse, they decide that they can no longer trade. What's going to happen? Well, with the best one in the world, you can chase them for rent. But if they haven't got the rent and if their business is closed, if the directors declare bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff happens, you're never going to get your rent. So you end up with a void. Now, if you'd bought a dozen residential properties or half a dozen residential properties instead and one of the tenants had gone, you've got one void in six. If you buy an office building like that, though, and the tenant goes broke, you've got 100% voids. As I say, you may have problems chasing the rent, but what are your options then? Well, your option then is to 
keep the property, you probably won't be able to sell it. It's going to be hard to sell unless you're prepared to take a massive hit on it. And then you try and relet it. But if the economy is in a downturn, there's probably going to be a very limited number of businesses who will want to move into your premises. And there's a massive disadvantage with that, by the way. Call it disadvantage number five, which I almost overlooked. Disadvantage number five is that when the property is empty, business rates will still be payable. And guess who's going to be paying the business rates? Yes, that's right. You, as the owner, will be paying the business rates. When there's a tenant in place, the tenant pays the business rates. When there's no tenant, there's still business rates, but you pay it. So very quickly, when a recession comes, when a downturn comes, a commercial property can go from looking fantastic to being a total liability. And that's something which has burnt a lot of people's fingers in the past. So you need to be careful of that. And I remember as a young surveyor driving through North London in the 1990s, in the recession of the 1990s, and I was just struck by how many empty shops I was driving past and wondering what was happening to the owners of those shops. Those owners presumably had rates to pay, for example. Who was, who was actually covering all of that? Some people must have been really hurt. And that just highlighted to me how fragile the commercial market can be if you go for the wrong type of property. So commercial property, in my mind, and this is just my opinion, you may have other opinions on this. And if you've got experience in commercial property, then please leave a post on Facebook. Tell me all about it. Tag me and I'd love to hear your experiences. But to me, it says commercial property. If you're going to get into commercial property, you need to buy half decent properties. Don't go for the cheaper, high yielding stuff. Go for something which is quite decent so that you've always got the chance of having a decent tenant in. And you've always got the chance of letting the property again if your currently decent tenant decides that they need to leave or downsize or, or something happens. So there we are. That was a quick canter through the world of commercial property. As I say, I don't want to be gloomy about this. I know that many, many people are doing really, really well in commercial property. One of the key things is to spot the trends. So, for example, over the last 10 years or so, we've seen a massive increase in the number of units which are being used for coffee shops, for example, Nero, Costa, Starbucks, all that kind of stuff really taken off. What's the next big trend going to be? If you can find and discover that trend and start providing the accommodation for them, you could potentially do really, really well. But on the other side of it, look for the negative trends. As I said earlier, banks who look so secure People were buying bank units because they thought they were so secure and the income stream is going to be so secure. What happens? The banks start closing branches because of internet banking. The high street at the moment is really suffering because so many people are buying stuff online. How are they going to counteract that? Well, I'm not a retail expert, but it strikes me that if, if the high street wants to fight back against internet shopping, one thing they're going to have to do probably is to make shopping into a whole new experience. It's not just going to be about going to buy some stuff because we can do that online there. They have to differentiate themselves. And so I'm guessing a lot of the retail units in this country are going to, are going to struggle. And ongoing is going to be more and more of a struggle as more and more of us get into internet shopping. Very interested the other day to see that the government are thinking about making it easier to convert shops into residential properties. Now, on the face of it, that sounds like a great idea. The only thing is, though, of course, whether the the actual physical layout of the shop lends itself to that, probably will, but you need to check that. You'd also have to think about the location of the shop, because if the shop is still within a sort of functioning retail parade, it might look a bit strange just to suddenly change the shop in the middle into a house or into a couple of flats, but it might work. But the one thing which struck me as being a difficulty of that 
which of course the government probably don't even know about because they're not property investors like us, so they probably haven't thought about it, is in the real world, banks aren't very keen on lending on residential properties where the residential properties are either part of a commercial environment or over a retail shop or over an office. In other words, you have to be very, very careful that it's not going to be one of the ones which the bank won't actually touch. And it just made me think that the government probably think that they've come up with a great idea there. But unless they get everybody on board, if unless they get the lenders on board, so they're going to lend on those units, it's probably going to be very difficult to actually make a going concern of turning a shop into a residential property. It works with offices, clearly, because an office can be a sort of distinct building on its own. Not so sure about shops. But anyway, there we go. There's some thoughts on commercial property. I hope you enjoyed that. Hope that's helpful. Give you something else to think about if you're wondering how to invest your money. In the meantime, if you've got any comments, do put them on the Facebook group, on the Progressive Property Facebook group. Tag me in. I'd love to see what you've got to say about commercial property. And if you want to know a little bit more about me, I'm Peter Jones, as I say, Chartered Surveyor, Author, Property Investor. You can always come to my website, www dot the property teacher all one word the property teacher dot co dot uk there's some resources there for you to have a look at some free reports which i hope you'll find useful so come on over have a look i'll see you there and in the meantime until the next progressive property podcast here's to successful property investing <laughs>